it's not your fault. It's not your fault. While childhood trauma shapes you and how to break free. A conversation in this hour with Alex Howard, founder and chair of the Optimum Health Clinic, uh, on the intricate interplay between our past and present selves, how we reconcile and form lasting positive relationships first with ourselves and then with others. So, uh, again, it's not your fault. Uh, Alex Howard, good to have you on the program. How are you today? I'm doing well, Tavis. Thank you for having me. Excited to have this conversation. No, I'm glad to have you on. Thank you uh, for the time. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, um, this is the second day in a row, and I don't know in my entire career that I've had uh, the occasion to talk to uh, two persons with, uh, with a British accent uh, consecutive days. Uh, so it's kind of funny. We had a guest <laughs> on yesterday who had, uh, had an accent like yours. Uh, it, was, it was a spirited dialogue, and I expect no less in this hour, which is kind of funny that uh, after 30 years in the business, uh, I was trying to recall this morning, have I ever had a day where I talked to two uh, persons with this, uh, with this uh, lovely accent uh, consecutively? But nonetheless, let's jump ahead in this conversation. Let me let me let me let me start with this. Um, we live in a world um, where everybody wants to blame everybody for everything. Um, nobody wants to be held accountable. Nobody wants to take personal responsibility. But everybody wants to blame other people. I was in a situation literally this week uh, at my company where I was trying to get to the bottom of something, and everybody was pointing fingers at everybody else. Nobody, I, it took me forever to get to the bottom of the problem because everybody wanted to point to everybody else for what went wrong in the process of this thing basically imploding. So I know of this uh, this uh, conundrum myself. Again, having uh, wrestled with it once again in my career and in my life this week. So I start by asking. Um, um, to this, to this, to this notion of people blaming everybody for everything else, to have a book called "It's Not Your Fault" is really a, a, a pretty revolutionary statement, as I see it. What, how do you read it? It's your, it's your title. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Um, this was, this was the third title for the book. So we went on a, I went on a real journey of what's the core of the message that that I wanted to share, and in a way, for me. You know, a title of a book needs to capture the essence, but sure. the title is 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 really the first part of a two-part story because it's not your fault, and particularly the book's exploring the impacts of childhood trauma. And it's true that what we experience and what happens to us in childhood it shapes us. And as I'm sure we'll come into, many of the challenges and difficulties we experience in our adult life are the result of those impacts. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the dangers of a title like this is not having the second part, which is that it may not be our fault that we are certain ways, mm -hmm. but we do have a responsibility to do the work to heal that. And I think if we live in a world where it's always someone, it's not our fault, so it's always someone else's fault, I think that can be problematic. And I think to, to go to the point that particularly you were making, I think we have to separate blame and responsibility mm. because going you know taking a situation for example in the workplace blaming people what typically will happen is when we feel attacked we will naturally defend so when you have a situation where everyone's blaming someone else for what happens everyone's just trying to protect themselves and defend just like someone throws a punch at us the instinct is to defend if someone blames us the, the instinct is is to defend ourselves mm -hmm. but also if we can't have really honest conversations about causation and responsibility, it's really difficult to unpick issues and it's really difficult 
to find pathways towards healing. Yep. In our last hour, I, I, I was in dialogue with a brilliant philosopher, and I, I, he referenced Socrates, and I quoted Socrates, um, saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, it may not be our fault, but it also requires um, courageous introspection to do the healing, does it not? It does. And I think one of the, one of the things that for me is very exciting as a, a therapist of, of, of 20 plus years is that there is some real conversation happening in recent years around trauma and around these issues. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability to go to those places. In a way, part of the brilliance of the, of the kind of human psyche is one of the ways that we often survive the painful experiences that we can have is we learn to shut down and we learn to protect ourselves and and to defend. And in a way, what happens is that the walls that we build to keep us safe, to protect us in childhood, often become the walls that trap us and become the prison in Mm. our adult life. And to really understand these issues we have to let down some of those protections and and defenses. And sometimes to go to the places we've spent our whole life trying to get away from. Powerful, powerful, powerful. It's going to be a great hour. Uh, The book is called It's Not Your Fault, While Childhood Trauma Shapes You and How You Can Break Free, How to Break Free, uh, specifically. Uh, Our guest is the author of that text, Alex Howard, who we'll continue our conversation with when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley in dialogue with Alex Howard, who's the author of the new book, It's Not Your Fault, Why Childhood Trauma Shapes You and How to Break Free. I got a really smart audience, Alex Howard, a really smart audience, and it didn't take long for somebody to raise this issue. Let me just do this right quick before we get straight away into, into the text. Um, cause it's a powerful point. So we were just talking moments ago, uh, about this notion of, of, of blaming people. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I said to you that I think it's a revolutionary thing to just title the book. It's not your fault, particularly in late modernity. That's, 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 that's a bit revolutionary. So, um, somebody, somebody has raised this issue that I want to put to you now. Um, and it's, it's, it's the following. When we say it's not our fault, it's not our fault. Uh, that opens up the door then to blame folk who came before us. And here's where I'm going with this. In this country, as you may know, um, we are having a serious dialogue about reparations for slavery. Um, this radio program is flagshipped uh, in Los Angeles, where I sit right now. The state of California is leading the nation in a dialogue about reparations. We had a reparations task force here in the state. Uh, the recommendations of the, uh, that task force have now been sent to the California legislature and the legislature has to decide how they're going to define reparations. We discussed on this program earlier this week, um, some new data that finds that, uh, 60%, basically 60% of Californians are vehemently opposed to any cash payouts as restitution for slavery. So it remains to be seen how we will ultimately define reparations in this state, Uh, But the country, the nation is watching California to see how we're going to deal with reparations first. And and we will see whether or not that decision ultimately cast a long shadow 
or a long sunbeam across the nation. I know this is a bit far afield from your uh, area of expertise, but you'll take the point I'm trying to make here, which is that when you say it's not my fault, then that allows you potentially to blame someone before you. And there are listeners already concerned about whether even advancing this notion that it's not our fault. It's the fault of those who came before us. It's somebody else uh, opens up a door for people not to be held accountable in real time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. It's not one that I was expecting on my interview for this book. <laughs> I'm but sure. I, but I, but, I, but I, let, let, Travis, let let me come to it, for, if, if I may, from a slightly different sure, perspective. Sure, 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 sure. Which, which is my understanding of what is most important is what needs to happen for a deep healing to take place. And my expertise is 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 not so much on a um a cultural level my expertise is on a the impacts of childhood trauma but i think there's there are some um some mirrors here sure. so let me tell you a little bit about so part of my personal narrative so this, this book is written by me as a therapist of 20 years experience i've had the privilege of interviewing hundreds of the world's experts on trauma in our conference series mm-hmm. But I'm also writing from the point of view of someone like I think really all of us have in our own way, have experienced my own childhood trauma. And I want to say my, my experiences may not be nearly as severe as, 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 as maybe many, many of your listeners. But one of the traumas of my childhood was that my father left soon after I was born and I grew up without a father. Mm-hmm. And that had all kinds of impacts. One of the impacts was having to become the man of the house from a young age and having to, in a way, being being robbed of certain parts of childhood. And in my early 30s, I eventually tracked down and I met my father. Mm. And I had, I had all kinds of feelings, as you can imagine, around this. There was a place in me that just wanted to have the experience of meeting my father. I had all these unanswered questions around half of where I'd come from and my history and, and, and so on. I had a place of me that was the little boy that wanted to be held and loved and told that it wasn't his fault. I also had a part of me that was incredibly rageful and angry and and wanted him to feel all the pain that I felt through the abandonment that, that I'd experienced. Mm-hmm. And in in the journey of, of that relationship, in a way, I don't think there's anything, there's nothing that he could do on one level that could change the history of the past of what, of what had happened. And on another level, there were things that I needed to know to be true that had the potential to heal and to impact me. And when I think about the, the wider question that you're answering, I think I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not qualified in the way many of I think your guests would be to comment on this. But mm-hmm. what I would say mm-hmm. is that, yes, it may well be the case that financial reparations is part of the jigsaw. But I think there are another piece of the jigsaw that's also important is that for healing to happen, there has to be a place of being seen and understood. Mm. And my understanding of, of much of, in a way, there's what happens in the past, but there's also the way that the past informs the present. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what, what is, is, is difficult is when there is a disowning and rejection of the history that then, in a way, becomes a block to really being able to have the honest conversation, which is part of the pathway to healing. 
Nope. It's a, it's a powerful response. I get it. I take it. Uh, again, I, I, I knew it was going to throw you for a loop just a little bit, uh, but being the pro that you are, I knew you could handle it. Uh, and I think, um, again, your answer is uh, you acquitted yourself you, quite quite nicely there. Uh, it is a, a dynamic and an organic <laughs> conversation in this country right now. And I think what people are concerned about, uh, and this does take us straight way into your work, people are concerned about the fact that um, even when it's not your fault in real time, that can be an excuse for passing the buck. Uh, and at some yeah. point, at some point, it's got to be addressed. And so I, I wonder if you just might say a word about this notion of fault and blame and passing the buck, as it were. Yeah, well, I think particularly in in the context of, you know, by definition of being adults, <laughs> we all had childhoods. Sure. And in those childhoods, the the chances are there were many things that that didn't go go ideally or perfectly. Now, of course, there's a truth that our par- the vast majority of us, our parents did the best that they could, informed by their childhood and their parents' childhood, and in a way that there's there's a, a history goes back many 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 generations. And so, from the point of view of our adult self, we can reflect and we can see those experiences from a place hopefully of empathy and compassion and understanding that pain that we may have experienced was likely a result of of pain that goes back many generations. But that may be true for our adult self, but we also all have inside of us our emotional self. We can have our our younger self, you know, the little boy, the little girl, the child within us Mm -hmm. that still has the unprocessed feelings and emotions that, that we have. And so in a way that there's, there's the place where we can rationally understand and we can forgive and we can make sense of our experience, but we still have to process and feel those unfelt and stored away feelings and emotions. Because otherwise what happens is they leak out in our life in all kinds of ways. Mm. Be that that we have a lot of unprocessed anger and rage or sadness or hurt or whatever it may be. And we deal with that by self-medicating with drugs or alcohol and so on. Or maybe we live in a chronic state of of depression because our emotions have frozen, because we haven't been able to Mm. metabolize and move through. And so a a key part of, of, of my work is the recognition that many of us live with difficult things in our lives, be that emotional challenges, physical challenges, mental health issues, and and so on, that to really come to a place of healing and balance with, we have to be able to heal and process Mm. those impacts of the past. And often the, the, and really the crux of why I called the book what I did is often what we've learned is these things in our life addictions and chronic anxiety issues depression and so on it's our fault because we're broken or we're or we've done something to deserve it or we're wrong and when we recognize that these experiences are often the products of childhood trauma and we can talk about what trauma is in as many different definitions and it really is to take away the shame and the blame and to recognize that many of the things we struggle with are just the best we could figure out of how to get through those experiences. I I hear you loud and clear um, that childhood trauma continues, will continue to trap us throughout our lives if we don't seek to confront it. Let me just ask, um, in your work uh, for over two decades now, um, what are the primary reasons that those of us who don't want to confront it choose not to? 
I think there's a, there's a few reasons. Um, I think to, to be able to do good, effective therapeutic work in of itself is a form of privilege. It's having the time, the space, sometimes the financial resources to be able to access those things. I think that's a piece of the jigsaw. Mm-hmm. I think it's also having the being shown the possibility that things can be different. I think often we can grow up in um, surrounded by people that are impacted and struggling in the same ways. And all we've seen is that's just the way that the world is. And we, again, part, part of the brilliance of, um, of the human organism is that we will normalize to whatever environment we're in, mm-hmm. which is why you can have someone that grows up in, for example, a physically abusive environment, and they're statistically significantly more likely to end up in a physically abusive relationship later in life because they've normalized to that. And someone else may be in a situation where someone raises a hand to them and they're gone. But someone that's normalized to that experience but just learns that that's how the world is. And so sometimes the issue here is people haven't been shown either that there is another way mm-hmm. or it's possible for them to have another way. And then I think the other piece goes back to something that, that you touched on a little bit earlier, Tavis, which is it's really having the courage to do that work. Mm-hmm. And often people will do everything they can to avoid going to those places because those places can be difficult to go to. Yeah. Um, we've talked about blame. I want to talk about the other word that you um, mentioned a moment ago, and that is shame. Um, what role does shame play in all of this? Uh, people uh, not wanting to, refusing to, being afraid of, confronting um, that childhood trauma, even though it's not their fault. So we all have a what's, what's called an inner critic, which is the voice in our mind, which is always you know, judging, criticizing, you should have done this better, said that better, and, and, and so on. And we develop that voice as small children for a few reasons, one of which is that as a small child, when our caregivers are not around, the world's a scary place. And so we internalize those voices to build a sense of safety, but also we internalize those voices to learn how to please those around us so we get our physical and emotional needs met. So this voice is very, it's very young. Um, it's, it's, again, we get very normalized to it being there. But then what happens is that, in a way, we recreate that early childhood environment in our lives as adults. And so if we had, for example, a parent that always spoke to us in a harsh and critical way, that voice in our mind is likely to be harsh and critical in that way. We can have not been in relationship with that person for decades, but it's like we're living with that person inside of us all of the time. And that that voice is often the origin of the shame that we experience. That, and again, going back to the book title, It's Not Your Fault, that voice is, is consistently telling us it's our fault, we screwed it up, we don't have what it takes, we don't deserve, no one loves us anyway. And we normalize to that narrative. And one of the, the great blessings of, of, of the job that I get to do that I love is helping people break free Mm. from that shame and understanding that that narrative that may have felt true their whole life may not be the whole truth. I want to start, uh, give you a chance to start your answer to this. We may not get a chance to complete it um, in uh, right now. We'll we'll go forward uh, and um, give you more time in in a moment here. But let me just start with this question. Um, Why do we repress certain memories from childhood? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to slightly broaden your question, Tavis. I think it's why do we repress memories, but it's also why do we store away the emotions? And okay. those two things often go together. Fair enough. So, so when we repress memories or we store away the feelings and the emotions from those experiences, the, typically the reason is that it wasn't safe to process and feel that at the time. Mm -hmm. And so the way that uh, our nervous system is designed, when we're under threat or we're in danger, we have one of three choices that we can do. One of which is we can fight. The second is we can flight or we can escape and run away. Or the third is that we can freeze. Now, mm. as small children, we often can't fight. We are physically weaker, smaller, and to actually stand up to a threat is going to potentially make the threat much bigger. We can't flight, we can't run away because we are utterly dependent as small children on our caregivers for our physical survival. So when we can't fight and we can't flight, we tend to freeze. Mm. And when we freeze, what that means is there's, there's a, a shutdown that happens in our system where we lock away those memories, those feelings, those emotions. And one of the things that can often happen, so I have a um, a YouTube series where, where we film um, my therapeutic work with people. And one of the stories in, in that series was, was a, um, a, a black man, Pierre, in his, in his 40s, who as a child suffered physical abuse. And so through his, his younger years would endlessly daydream. Mm. And the daydreaming was a way to go somewhere in his mind yes. that wasn't in the present moment where that pain and suffering was. Yep. Um, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, those are the responses that we have when we find ourselves in difficult situations. Uh, a great deal more to, to cover in this hour with our guest, Alex Howard. His book is called It's Not Your Fault. Why Childhood Trauma Shapes You and How to Break Free. It's September, so there are all kinds of books. As I said days ago, weeks ago, all kinds of books come out in September. There are two or three times a year when major books drop, and so you're hearing a lot of great authors in this month because it's that it's that time uh, when uh, the publishing industry puts out new books. His book just dropped yesterday. Once again, it's called It's Not Your Fault, Why Childhood Trauma Shapes You and How to Break Free. More with the author, Alex Howard, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Back to more of Alex Howard on Tavis Smiley. Uh, he's our guest in this hour. His book is called It's Not Your Fault, Why Childhood Trauma Shapes You and How to Break Free. We'll get to the break free part, I promise, before we break free of this conversation today. Uh, but a few more things I want to cover with Alex Howard before we get to that part, um, as we say. We talked moments ago about how we uh, and why, I should say, we repress memories. Uh, and what our response is when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we either fight, we flight, or we freeze. Um, now I want to ask Alex um, how to release the trauma that is stored in our bodies. Um, so for those of us who really want to wrestle with um, our childhood trauma, how do we go about doing that? How do we release all we've been holding in all these years? Yeah, it's a great question. In a way, what we have to do is we have to learn how to create the inner environment that we need to let that happen. And in a way, it's the same inner environment that we may not have had as a child, which is why that trauma got stored in the first place. So one of the ways that I talk about it is we all have 
three core emotional needs. And these emotional needs are like physical needs of food, water, oxygen. They're not, they're not wants, they're not nice to have. They're critical for healthy emotional development. And when they don't happen, this is often where trauma happens. And so the first of these needs is the need for boundaries. That's the ability to be able to say yes, but also be able to say no to other people. Same is true within ourselves to say, yes, I want to do or start this new thing or no, I want, I want to, to, to stop. It's the, it's the need for safety. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of feeling safe enough that we're actually able to feel those feelings and emotions. And if you think, Tavis, about a small child or a baby, they get that safety from their caregivers. And in a way, what we learn as as a baby is our nervous system co-regulates. And so our heart rate, our breathing regulates with the physical and emotional holding that we get. And when that's done in an optimum way, we then learn how to self-regulate our nervous system as we go through life into adulthood. Mm. The third of these core emotional needs is the need for love. And this is not knowing that we're loved as an idea. It's not being told that we're loved or necessarily acts, kind of loving acts. It's the feeling that we are loved for who we are as Mm. we are. So if we then come to this in the, sorry, if we come to this in the context of processing emotions, we need to be able to say yes and yes and no. We need to feel safe enough and we need to be able to accept exactly what we're feeling as we're feeling it. Mm. And when we're able to bring, to meet those needs, that creates a space where we can then start to feel those places. Speaking of love, um, uh, I, uh, I asked you to just uh, give me just a, a moment here, Alex. Speaking of love, today is my is my birthday and I've been getting all kinds of love uh, from around the around the country, around the world today. And I am told by my producers that I have to interrupt this because there's a phone call that I have to take. Uh, I don't know who it is, but I'm told that I have to take it. So I'm going to follow them and, and pause for a second for whoever's on the phone line. Um, I'm Tavis. Who are you? Evans, this is Stevie. Oh, Lord. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Woo! Uh, Stevie, Stevie Happy Wonder. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's a little too early. It's a little too early for me to sing, you know, that happy birthday song, but I wanted to, to you know, to call you and say happy birthday and God bless you. And, you know, this conversation that you're having is so interesting because um, growing up, as a little boy, blind, uh, one of the greatest things that I appreciate, I appreciate about what my mother did Mm. was she allowed me to not be in fear, Mm. allowed me to not be in fear of being blind and not being able to go and do. And the first way that she showed me that was when she said, look, I know you've never been on this bus. Uh, that's going to take you to school, but I'm going to walk you up the stairs, the steps once to get on a bus. But by the next time, I want you to feel comfortable mm. in knowing that you are going to be able to do it and not be afraid. And just with her love convincing me, allowing me to believe that, yeah, uh, her walking me to a place where there would be people who would um, would not only greet me, but help me 
to understand there's nothing wrong with moving forward and learning things that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. So that whole experience, uh, because I think f- for a blind person, you're going to have, you know, that same, those same traumas, you know, as a little kid, mm-hmm. if you're not guided through with love. Mm. So when he mentioned that, I said, yeah, it's very, it's very, well, no, nobody, no, nobody has ever written as beautifully about love. Uh, I understand it is an exhaustible, inexhaustible subject, uh, but nobody has uh, has excavated the notion of love, Stevie, better than you. Uh, I find myself often um, saying to people that um, you are you are not just on the soundtrack of all of our lives, uh, but I can't imagine my life without your music uh, as a part of it. And at every stage of my life, there have been songs that you've put forth that have empowered me and inspired me and motivated me and moved me and massaged me and encouraged me and inspired me. And so I, um, I, I, I pinch myself every time I'm talking to Stevie or in Stevie's presence because uh, it just means so much to me um, to know that God has so blessed me in my lifetime um, not just to hear his music, but to 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 know him and to to befriend him or have him befriend me and support me in my work and witness. I've never called Stevie, asked him to do anything that he didn't do, and obviously I didn't call him today and ask him for this phone call. Somebody else did, but I'm grateful that he accepted uh, their phone call and agreed uh, to call in to wish me happy birthday. So Stevie, I love you, and there ain't nothing you can do about my it, my joy. friend. It's my joy, and um, um, to the author want to say it's great that again there's information that is being put out there as like the songs I write that will motivate people and encourage them and how to move forward and get beyond these fears Stevie I love you man thank you for the phone call you have made my day I, I don't know what happens the rest of the day but it ain't gonna get no better than getting a birthday call from Stevie Wonder I love you my friend Thank you. Uh, so, Alex Howard, how, how's that feel um, to, to be talking to me and Stevie Wonder calls into the conversation and gives you a shout out about your book? I'll tell you what, Tavis, that wasn't how I was expecting my evening to go. But, <laughs> but one, one thing I, I, I don't know if Stevie's still on the line, but one thing that I'd also love to say is that what a gift of love that his mom gave him, but also a particular quality of love. Not just the, I love you, it's, it's, it's so sad, it's so terrible, but I love you and look what you can still go and do. And that's the beauty of love used in that way. Steve, you still there? I'm here. Yeah, you, you heard his comments? Yeah. I did and I appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, the most high every day for just having that mother and... Um, not to t- try to take over your show, but you know the the experience of of me getting to feel comfortable with what I can do was the very reason how I was able to get discovered and be a part of Motown. Mm. It was me and my friends, and my mother had rules. I was like, obviously I couldn't go across the street and you know travel, you know, without. But it was through me singing. Uh, being bad in the alley with my friends, <laughs> you know, a man who was a spiritual man who came out and said, you need to sing, you know, you should sing. 
gospel songs and sing about God as opposed to talking about each other's mamas and fathers. <laughs> but I, so I then started singing a gospel song, and then he started giving me a little money, a little change, and we got some candy and went. But at the <laughs> end of the day, um, those friends, I, you know, I said, listen, if you walk me across the street, I will give you some of my money. And so they walked me across the street because, you know, my mother would not allow me to go across the street. Mm-hmm. But it allowed me to get to where I met John Glover, who recently just passed, actually, mm-hmm. this year he died. Uh, but um, I was able to um, to then go from Breckenridge to then 25th Street with my friends, and that's how I met um, the cousin of Ronnie White, who was, you know, Ronnie White of the Miracles, mm-hmm. who introduced me to then through meeting him, Smokey Robinson, through which they allowed me to come to Motown and meet all these people. Mm. It's an amazing story, um, Stevie, and I am, uh, uh, every time I hear it, it just, uh, I get goosebumps. And, and let me just say right quick before I, before I let you go, I know you got to run. Um, uh, your mama didn't want you to go too far by yourself, but but Barry Gordy and Smokey have told me many times that they were scared how, how well you learned your way around Motown, and you were walking in the building, out the building, down the sidewalk, all by yourself. Stevie, is that true? Uh, it's 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 pretty much true <laughs> because I wasn't afraid, and uh, I was definitely listening for how close I was to the street because I didn't want to get hit by a car. <laughs> That's exactly what I hear. Stevie, I know you got to run. I love you. Uh, thank you for the phone call. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right. God bless you. Alex Howard, don't you move. More of our conversation with Alex Howard when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. Black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Alex Howard, uh, we continue our conversation. Now that we, uh, I hope you caught your breath. I caught my breath. Uh, it's, it's, it was quite, quite a surprise to have Stevie Wonder call in to wish me happy birthday, which I am forever grateful for. But I'm just grateful that you got a chance uh, to talk to Stevie. How was it listening? Uh, let me just ask you right quick. How was it for you hearing Stevie talk about his own childhood and uh, this notion of, 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 of trauma and how, uh, uh, how it shapes who we are? You know, Tavis, that, that, that's going to be a highlight <laughs> for me. Um, that was amazing. But it's also, you know, it came at the perfect moment in our conversation because what Stevie really represents in our culture is one of the most amazing stories mm-hmm. of someone who defied what you may have expected based upon the start in life, right? It's the perfect, it's a perfect example of we can all go through painful, difficult experiences, but they don't have to define our lives. Mm. And in a way, sometimes the things that are the most challenging and the most painful and the most difficult are also the things that make us stronger. They're also the things that force us to make new meanings. And in a way, you know, there's a lot of, a lot talked about of post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also fascinating growing research around post-traumatic growth yes and yes. how sometimes the things which, which 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 are most difficult also can be turned into the blessings of our lives yeah no story. no i'm sorry i mean to cut you off um I, I i hear you uh i, I received that and what i was about to say very quickly is that what you were talking about at the very moment that stevie called in as you know was love 
Uh, and there's no greater force in the world than love. And so I just love how he called in as you were talking about the thing that he sings about better than anybody else ever will. Uh, our remaining moments with Alex Howard if we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merc Park with love, love, this love, is Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Got four minutes left with Alex Howard. I want to cover two things in these uh, tight uh, few minutes that we have left here. Let me start with this, Alex. First of all, um, how do we go about building better boundaries? You talk about this in the text. We don't have time to get into it in uh, too deeply, but talk about building better boundaries as we as we uh, learn how trauma shapes our life and how to break free from that trauma. Yeah, well, the first thing is often we have to recognize where we don't have those boundaries, right? So we we teach people how to treat us and we design the relationships in our lives based upon the way that we respond and way we interact. And so the first step is to recognize if we have places we need more boundaries, we're going to have to work on that. The next thing is that if we if we need to do work, which many of us do, on our own emotional healing and our own self-care, to say yes to ourselves, we have to say no to other people. And that can be small no's day to day. It can be really big no's to certain relationships or people in our lives. And the thing that I often say to people when they begin that journey of starting to put boundaries in place, it's a little bit like a pendulum that swung too far one way. Sometimes we have to overswing to find that point of balance. And we can be so afraid of saying the wrong thing or upsetting someone. But if a boundary has been missing for a long time, it may be a bit bumpy, the journey to get that in place initially. But ultimately, it's going to be critical to be able to design the world around us in a way that then can support us in in not just just our healing, but also living our, our life in a way yeah. that is is in balance for us. I close on this note. You 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 uh, in this book uh, do an amazing job of setting a clear path to understanding, uh, helping us to understand our own unique blueprints from childhood, and then you provide a clinically proven reset plan for healing. That's what you do so well in this book. It's not your fault why childhood trauma shapes you and how to break free. I want to close with this in the 90 seconds I have left, though, just giving you a chance to say to the audience that whatever that childhood trauma is, uh, I assume you believe that healing is possible, that healing is available for all of us. I think healing is possible for all of us. I think it can be a journey, and I don't think it's a journey that necessarily has a perfect, idealized, sort of Disney happy ending um, for everyone, but it is absolutely possible to move forward on that journey. And to do that, we need to firstly recognize that we've got to do that work, and we have to prioritize it. And I think one of the challenges can be that our response to our trauma can sometimes be to make our life so busy and so full of all the things that we need to do on the outside that there's no space for that inner work. And so we have to make time, we have to make space, and then we have to find the methodologies and the tools that work for us. And what works for one person may be different for somebody else. Mm. I think one of the great gifts of people on healing journeys these days is the the enormous amount of things we can find on YouTube and on podcasts yes. and so on. And 
I always really encourage people to listen to who do they resonate with? What are the voices and the paths that they connect with? Mm. And to follow their own inner guidance with that. His name is Alex Howard. His book is called It's Not Your Fault While Childhood Trauma uh, Shapes You and How to Break Free. Alex, thanks for the conversation. Thanks for the book. Uh, and uh, delight to have you on this program. I appreciate you, sir. Tavis, thank you so much, and happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Uh, thanks to Alex and all of you, uh, my, my family, my friends, uh, and I count all of you as friends. Uh, thank you all for your kind, happy birthday wishes today. Uh, certainly my dear mother, who I, I love uh, with every bit of my being, uh, and to Stevie Wonder, my friend and brother, beloved brother from another mother. Thank you, Stevie, as well, for calling in.